Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Dave Nordman, the executive editor of the Telegram Gazette, joined on this Voice of Business by Tim Murray, CEO and president of the Worcester Regional Chamber of Commerce. Welcome, Tim. Thank you, Dave, and I want to thank Fidelity Bank for sponsoring the Voice of Business. Uh, good to be back with you. We've got a little hiatus. Yeah, it's been a while, but uh, it seems like uh, seems like just yesterday. But so much has uh, has happened. Um, you know, I guess you know at the forefront or like right in front of us is uh, the recent mask mandate, which obviously started indoor mask mandate on Monday. Um, you know, it's, uh, it's a big deal, um, you know, to a lot of people, but, you know, kind of walk us through it, you know, from what you're hearing from the, from the Worcester business community. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I think the, the, the city manager did give us a little heads up, uh, you know, before it went live on Friday and, you know, gave our input and, and certainly, you know, we know that this is going to impact certain sectors more, more, uh, than others, uh, certainly, you know, gyms and and restaurants and and, and some venues are, are going to be hit by this. Um, I think the rationale behind this uh, has been articulated by the manager and the mayor, but also by Eric Dixon, the president and CEO of of UMass Memorial, who's talked about their ICU being overrun uh, with with COVID cases. In most cases, most of those people have not been vaccinated. Uh, and that is unfortunate because that seems to be driving a lot of this. Yeah. And, you know, just to interrupt there, I, I you know, listening to the mayor's uh, talk within the press conference last week, he was quick to point out, you know, in kind of quote unquote, races vaccinated. And Dr. Dixon, you know, I mean, um, those at UMass in the city have made that clear about the efforts that they've gone through to make sure that people get vaccinated. That's right. And, you know, we can't afford a shutdown. And that's part of my explanation to several of our members who, you know, voiced their frustration is that, look, we need to do everything we can to avoid a shutdown. Masks are obviously an inconvenience, but it's, you know, it, it, it is proven to be helpful in mitigating uh, the, the spread. And we need to be, you know, embracing those as best we can and adapting and utilizing them as best we can uh, to, to make sure we're, we're limiting the spread and the impact on our hospitals. And it's, it's not only the people who are sick going to the hospital. So, for example, if, if, if the an emergency department is overrun with um, COVID cases, well, if someone has a heart attack, one breaks, whatever it is, those people, it's, it's, there's a cumulative, there's a, never mind the people working in the hospitals, you know, the, the stress and, on, on them over time. So we've got to try to think of all these things. And the best thing people can do is get vaccinated. And we're seeing a number of venues now uh, not letting people only in who, who can demonstrate that they're vaccinated. And I think you're going to see increasingly uh, groups and organizations and businesses do that. Yeah, I mean, you make a good point. So not only are, are businesses um, requiring vaccination uh, for entry. I mean, I, I went to a Holy Cross football game and you had to be vaccinated to uh, to go to the game, for example. Uh, but also, you know, certain businesses are, are requiring vaccination from their employees. So, you know, people are taking great steps to, um, uh, to help fix a huge problem. Yeah, no, no, no that's it. So, 
it's obviously an inconvenience. I think we've got to, you know, again, try to listen to best recommendations from our healthcare you know, professionals. And really, uh, the understanding is it's just to try to uh, mitigate as best as possible the, the spread and, and, and the effect on yeah, the I mean, hospital system. Yeah, I mean, it's because a business owner, you know, uh, comes to you and says, well, you know, like, like we can't have masks in the alternative down the road is, you know, your business is closed because we have to have another shutdown. Right, right. So neither of which are one is obviously a much more uh, difficult scenario than, than, than the other. Yeah. So, you know, changing gears um, and it's a, it's a subject that, uh, that the Worcester Regional Chamber of Commerce has been on the, uh, the forefront of every year um, about this time. And that's uh, uh, unlike masks, this is something that comes up every year, which is um, which is the dual tax rate in the city of Worcester. Um, and, uh, you know, explain the subject for maybe I'm walking into moving to Worcester for the first time, Tim. I just moved from some other part of the country. Explain right. to our readers how the, the dual tax rate works in Worcester, um, and then we can move on to w- what your argument is. So 351 cities and towns in the Commonwealth of Massachusetts, uh, a small percentage of them tax owners of property whether you own a residential piece of property or a commercial industrial piece of property, the vast majority of municipalities tax them at the same rate. So you're taxed at a certain number of dollars per thousand. Uh, there are a number of, you know, a handful of communities uh, uh, out of that 351 that have a dual tax rate. They charge the, the residential one one rate, and they charge the commercial industrial another rate. And what we have seen is that policy reverse itself. That was a lot. Cities and towns were allowed to create a dual rate back in the eighties. Um, uh, that was something the city council did at the time. And uh, now we're taxing rates at substantially higher than we are businesses. And uh, our argument, and there are lots of tangible examples, is that has had a negative effect in growing the commercial industrial tax rate. In fact, uh, it, it, it shrunk. And when it shrinks, who bears the burden? Who picks up for that? And that is the uh, the residential side. And what the council has been urging over time is to slowly narrow the rate. We made some progress for several years. Uh, then with some of the changing uh, dynamics on the council. For the last five years, uh, the council has increased the rates. And Massachusetts now, in Massachusetts, as recently reported by Mass Live, uh, we have the sixth highest tax rate in the state. And so that, um, you know, it's not a moniker we want. It's not one that's necessarily conducive to growth. And where we do see projects go forward, it's oftentimes with a TIF, which is basically foregoing taxes. Now, that's great in those instances for the bigger companies that can use it. But the vast majority of businesses in the city are small businesses that cannot take advantage of a TIF. Uh, and the other thing that listeners, you know, may, may not be aware of is that businesses are taxed twice. They're taxed on their property, but also their personal property that's in their business. That could be equipment that they have. And some businesses are more intensive with equipment than others. And then the other, other uh, element you know, of this is that even if a business is renting a piece of property, 
they have a triple net lease. So basically the landlord is passing on the taxes, real estate taxes and things into the net and into the lease. So uh, Alex Guardiola, uh, our, our vice president of government affairs and public policy, wrote a, a, a column uh, in, in the Sunday Telegram. And, um, you know, to begin the conversation is that time of year again. But also, you know, with a new with a city council election coming up, we're also trying to make sure that, you know, those candidates now that the preliminary is over are aware of, uh, of you know our 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 you know, position on this and and how while maybe not always an expedient politically expedient position it, it is the right position to try to narrow the rate or create a more competitive rate if we want to grow the commercial industrial tax rate yeah and and talk about um, you know in Worcester is not alone there are other communities that have dual tax rates but. Uh, talk about some other communities, and I'm sure you can quote some examples that have either um, gone from a dual tax rate to a single tax rate um, or have at least narrowed the gap. Um, so, like, where where should Worcester be, in your opinion, compared to some of these other towns? Well, I mean, you know, people sometimes say, well, we should look at gateway cities. Well, look at a gateway city here in Worcester County. Uh, Fitchburg has moved to a single rate. We see Clinton. It's not a gate rate, gate, gateway city, but another community that had a dual rate has moving towards a single rate. Webster, uh, already uh, moved to a single rate after a series of years and steps closing the rate. Uh, we also see Auburn over the last 12, 13 years slowly moving towards a single rate. And I just want you know people to think, you know, there are some businesses – Many businesses have choices where they can locate. And, you know, in Worcester, uh, we've, we're talking about a $35 per thousand tax rate. We're in some of the communities just that abut Worcester. It's $12, $15 uh, per thousand. And so that can is a material difference in terms of budgets and costs that businesses evaluate. It's not the sole reason, but it is a significant reason. And that's what we try to make sure the counselors understand. And we've seen some companies that we've lost because of the tax rate, uh, whether it be uh, Prime Metals used to be Morgan Construction, you know, that that moved out. We see, uh, you know, Cogmetics, um, Coffin Companies, you know, moving uh, out to West Boylston. Courtesy, Curtis Industries also moved out to West, you know, West Boylston. Allegro moved to, uh, you know, Marlboro. So, it does have an impact. Yes, there's a lot of new development and, and things happening, much of it in the residential side, but we want to make sure we keep those commercial industrial jobs and, and that's make sure we've got facilities. Yeah, I mean, uh, in, in cities and towns that have lower um, commercial tax rates, um, they they probably, I mean, in your opinion, they, have they seen you know, these pro- that, that they've lowered the tax rate for commercial? Have they seen improvements? Have they seen, you know, uh, companies either stay or relocate? I mean, I'm sure there are examples. You've mentioned a few. Yeah, no, no, you know, without a doubt. I mean, and that's, that's again, one of the challenges, and it's not something you can necessarily put on a bumper sticker, but there's some cases where companies would, would prefer to stay in Worcester and maybe would be willing to pay a little bit more to stay in Worcester. But there aren't pad-ready modern commercial industrial sites uh, because the owners of those properties, where's the incentive for them to build a new facility or modify or rehab a facility so that it, if a company's looking for modern commercial industrial space, they can d- move quickly. In most instances in Worcester over the years, um, 
a developer will only build a new modern facility if they've got a lease in hand. And we saw with the, the prime metals situation, and as a regional chamber of commerce, Dave, let me say, you know, we're, we're pleased that they stayed in central Massachusetts and in our chamber service region. But for Worcester, we didn't have a pad-ready site for them. And part of the reason is where's the incentive for a developer of an owner property to go and build a pad-ready site or, or a building when they're going to be paying $35 per thousand on a piece of property that will go up in value because they've improved it. So there's a du- it's a double-edged sword. You know, not only is it on the tax bill, but it also is is a disincentive for owners to kind of create buildings or pad-ready sites uh, so that when a business is willing to, wants to move, and when they make a decision to move, you know, they want to move quickly. They don't want to wait 12 or 18 months. Uh, they want to move quickly because time is money. Right. And you look at, um, and, and Worcester is by no means the, the city with the highest commercial tax rate, but you look at some of the, the cities with even higher tax rates and the struggles they've had. And I'll point out like a Holyoke, for example, with $40 per per thousand. I mean, it's it's no secret that the higher your tax, it's just, it limits who you can bring bring to town. No, without a doubt. And, and you know, again, where we were able to create pad ready sites, let's take Table Talk and their, and their facility, the first facility in South Worcester. Sure. We worked over a series of years. Uh, I think back when I was mayor, as lieutenant governor, working with then Senator Augustus, Congressman McGovern, uh, the city. We were able to create a pad-ready site, but it took a, a significant amount of public investment to clean up the brownfields, you know, get, t- tear down the buildings, clean it up, and then have it ready in, in, for the time when a company's willing to expand. We've got to do more of that, without a doubt, in the city. But a, but a factor in that, absent having public sector dollars to go in and clean up and get it ready, uh, the other way to do that is having a, making it more more an incentive for the private owner to do that, and and that's where the tax rate is an impediment. Yeah, I mean, and you you make a good point that I haven't often heard is I think people just look at it as well if the commercial tax rate goes down, then the residential tax rate goes up, but maybe if the commercial tax rate comes down, maybe you offer fewer TIFs or you have to offer fewer TIFs. That, that's, I mean, absolutely, that, that's absolutely true. And then the other other piece of this is, let's again, let's use the Morgan Construction Prime sure. Metals. Uh, over on Crescent Street, right off of Lincoln Street, 300 jobs, uh, a couple of shifts. Um, you know, those people coming and going from work every day were stopping at the pizza you know, shop on Lincoln Street, stopping at Salt and Pepper maybe for breakfast before after, the dry cleaner, the hardware store. Um, those 300 employees aren't coming and going up and down the Lincoln Street, Burncoat, you know, Greendale Corridor any, anymore. Uh, they are traveling out to Sutton. As new employees come in and think about becoming homeowners and investing in property, are they going to look in, in, in Worcester or are they going to be you know, looking at the Blackstone Valley? Again, as a regional chamber, we want the jobs to stay in the region. But from a Worcester public policy and economic development point of view, there's the also impact of losing those 300 good manufacturing jobs. Yeah, so I guess uh, – so you – your argument is clear. So how do you take this to, you mentioned the city council and the residents to convince them that, you know, this is an investment worth making in your community and it's going to pay off in other ways rather than just saying my taxes might go up? Well, I, look, I mean, this, this 
for some, you know, there's pain involved in any of these decisions. And why we, and as we've done in Auburn, you know, where we have our affiliate partner chamber, as we've done in Webster, as we're seeing take place in Clinton and Fitchburg, if we're able to move it slowly to, you know, close the gap, um, it's it's much less painful, and as properties turn over and things over time, it's 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 less uh, uh, of an impact on the residential side. But we've been going the last we've going the opposite way. I was the just last five say, years. Yeah, yeah, the, the, we've been going the opposite way. The gap has grown over right. the last five years. And I just I remember last year and the year before was either yourself or Alex, and we'd get together and we'd be talking about this, and then we'd get together a month later, and it's it we're further apart than we were before. Right, and, and that's you know. The, City council elections and new people have come on and, and they've taken a position uh, on 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 this and it's ironic. You know, I heard one city councilor say, you know, that 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 she's a business owner. Well, why doesn't she tell the voters where her business is located? <laughs> it's not in the city of Worcester, <laughs> so it's interesting, you know, uh, in that regard. But let me just let's look at some of the numbers and and, and Brian Allen, who's a uh, you know real real estate development professional, uh, posted an article in in response to to Alex Guardiola's uh, column that appeared in the Sunday Telegram. And he kind of just ran the numbers. You know, in the city of Worcester, the residential is $17 per thousand. Commercial industrial is 35 uh, per thousand. But when you look at, at the city o- overall, um, and I think this can surprise people uh, about what, when you look at the overall uh, uh, value of the properties in the city of Worcester, it's $11.73 billion is residential and 2.78 is billion uh, is is the commercial industrial side. We want to be growing that commercial industrial side because when you do it takes the pressure off the residential side because they are paying, you know, because the commercial industrial does pay more. So you want to have that pie, you know, growing uh, as opposed to to shrinking. And yes, there's been some good you know, news in Worcester with a lot of the residential development and you know two three thousand new units coming on, but that's on the residential side. How do we create pad ready sites? How do we incentivize commercial industrial businesses to grow and expand? Is got to be a, a, an important part of the conversation. And at the end of the day, um, it comes down to a math problem, right? Because I look at the numbers a bunch of different ways, and I say, well, if you're um, if you're charging more money, you may have fewer businesses, and then you charge more money. And then you're going to have even few. So you're charging fewer businesses, a lot more money. And, and your argument is, well, if we have more business in the city, we'll have to charge them less and then get the same right. amount of money in, in taxes in return. And, and let's remember what they also provide. And perhaps maybe most importantly, they provide jobs, right? Jobs, jobs, jobs. And that's yes. like, you know, everything we do at the chambers, but recruit, retain, incubate is yes. all focused on jobs. And we want to try to create as many good paying jobs as close proximity to where people work uh, and where they live uh, as possible. And so, you know, you know, jobs are important. And then the other piece, you know, who sponsors the little leagues? You know, who gives philanthropically to the schools? You know, who do we ask to step up and support so many things that are worthy of their support, whether it be the arts and cultural community, it's businesses oftentimes augmenting uh, what the budgets uh, that government can't, can't, can't do or, or encouraging employees to go out and get involved. So, or to volunteer in the schools or in cleanups and, 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 and in civic groups. So, you know, jobs are important as much as anything here. Right. And I think, you know, I, I love the enthusiasm and the passion. I think if if more people saw it as more just my, I don't want my taxes to go up, um, I'm dead set against it. And if they just heard all of these arguments, 
and you're out there, you know, you're out there explaining this to people. And I think, um, that's a good thing for people to hear, you know, it's not just one thing. It's many different reasons, in your opinion, why. why no, it is. And, and look, I've been in the seat that's on the city, on seat in the city council make, taking this vote. I'm not saying it's an easy vote, but you've got to show the leadership to understand, you know, the over, overall, if you want economic development and jobs you know, close by where people, you know, this is a piece of that. It's not always convenient. It's not always easy. Um, uh, but. You know, it is what it is, and we're out making the case on behalf of our members and the broader business community because we believe jobs and good economic development policy are important. Absolutely. So last thing I wanted to mention was uh, we talk about these things all the time, but business after hours, um, you've got a, uh, you know, you've, you've had a bunch of great ones. You've got another business after hours coming up uh, Talk about uh, talk about that. And, yeah, that's right. Uh, we, we at the AC Marriott, and they're outdoor under the tent, so uh, masks uh, will we'll be outside. So at, masks. At the fireplace is going. Yeah, we'll have it outside. So it's going to be uh, uh, this Thursday. Uh, it's a joint uh, business after hours. The chamber has a mega business after hours with the corridor nine four ninety five chamber of commerce at the AC Marriott from five to seven thirty outside. So a great opportunity. We've had some super uh, September weather with fall approaching and. Great opportunity to network with chamber members and guests, meet new contacts, develop new leads, exchange ideas, and enjoy a great venue to the to, to the Worcester scene. Yeah, AC Marriott. If, for those who have, haven't been there, um, just a great uh, great hotel, great conference space, great outdoor space. Um, it is, and and we're thrilled that Rockland Trust Bank is is also supporting uh, uh, sponsoring this this event. Awesome. Well, that was a uh, great conversation, uh, dual tax rates and masks mandates and uh, a little <laughs> bit about some fun. So, yes, absolutely. So awesome. That's Tim Murray, CEO and president of the Worcester Regional Chamber of Commerce. I'm Dave Nordman, executive editor of the Telegram Gazette. Tim, we'll do it again soon. Thank you, Dave. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.